the dirty dozen. The dirty dozen? <laughs> yeah. It's just like group of men being heinous. <laughs> well I think I think oh Ernest Ernest Bornhein, the guy with a really big smile, you know? That guy. Oh, he's in both. Yeah, he's in both. Look at that. Yeah. No, but that movie rocks. It's like it's like three hours for like no reason. Cause literally like an hour and a half of that movie is just training and then like the the final like assault is like an hour. It's 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 yeah. it's very strange. It's like so weird that they used to like pace movies like that. But the reason why it works is because like <laughs> it actually makes you like care for all the 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 dirty dozen characters and that like when they die. Yeah, because like literally like all of them die. Spoiler alert for like a fifty year old movie. I mean, they are the dirty dozen. They are the dirty dozen. I want to see this because I know that like Suicide Squad, the new one, was like heavily influenced based on like these movies. Yeah, it's good. I mean, like, uh, John Cassavetes is in it. He's great. I love him. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that, that's, like, the only reason I watched it. <laughs> Just because I have, like, a, a love affair with John Cassavetes. Oh, dude, my man Donald Sutherland. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, got, you get, like, a fresh, like, scrawny-ass Donald Sutherland in, in that movie. He's always scon scrawny in his in his young appearances. It's weird. Yeah, but then he like grows up and he like matures and he's like a, a well toned like middle aged man. And then he's he he's in Mash. He's then, the Mashier. And then he's in the Hunger Games. <laughs> that he is. It, how is that he? he how is he still alive? Because he looked at his son and was like, "Well, I'm not dying while you're still around." <laughs> Wait, is that implying that he's gonna commit like is that implying that he's like gonna kill his son or something <laughs> holy fucking shit dude <laughs> listen to Kiefer sutherland's full name Kiefer william frederick dempsey george rufus sutherland dude <laughs> wait is that is donald sutherland british he's a british canadian actor oh my god i didn't <laughs> know like that that's horrible Oh, that's like, no that's like even worse than like ones. it's even worse than like French Canadian. <laughs> um. Anyway, less than French, less than Canadian. <laughs> what even are you at this point? Yeah. Well, welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran, and this is Nick. Hello. <laughs> I've been recording this whole time. Um, and today we are going to be discussing the Wild Bunch. Yes, we are. Sam Peckinpah's classic. Not the Dirty Dozen, as as Nick would have liked <laughs> no, you. To no, believe. no, no, indeed. <laughs> that's not even that's not even a western. No, but they both have big smile men, Ernest Borgheim, and I, I think I'll pronounce his name like differently every single time we, we bring him up. <laughs> I thought it was Borgnine. Borgnine. I was. I always heard it was Borgnine. I, I don't know. Maybe know. that's <laughs> that may be completely wrong. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, that's like one of the, like those last names that are like obsolete now. Yeah. You know, like no no yeah. one like goes around naming their children Borgine. Especially not last name. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, Ernest. Yeah, no one's named Ernest anymore. That's true. Yeah, dude, I was. I was no one's named Kiefer anymore though either. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Kiefer is a great name. Um, we should have more children named Kiefer. I think. Especially because it sounds like Keith, which I That's think is, is becoming more That's relevant true. now in, like, the political discourse. Absolutely. 
Um, but yeah, all my favorite politicians keep mentioning Keefe. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Bernie Sanders actually was running on Keefe, which is why the Democratic Party sabotages nomination. That's crazy. Yeah, like um, Ketamine Yoda. Ketamine Yoda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. He can't run the Jedi Temple. He's on ketamine, man. <laughs> Only serious conversations about film here. All right, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get on with it. Um, yeah, this movie, this movie is insane. I don't, I don't know how they got away with this in 1969. Absolutely not. This is like <laughs> this I is like the more most violent, violent film that I've seen like before <laughs> the year. This is more violent than films know. that come out like today. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think a lot of that's helped by the um I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but the editing, how absolutely like chaotic and insane it all is. Yeah, man. I, I think that like um the combination of the cinematography plus the editing and the use of slow mo and of course like the squibs as well, which was I think like pretty new for the time. I believe that like Yeah. I could be wrong about this, but I think, like, the first, like, big movie they used squibs was Bonnie and Clyde, right? I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I think... Because I know that that movie was, like, insanely, like, everybody was like, holy shit, I didn't know you could make something this violent. Yeah, because I think, like, that was, like, um, probably, that and, like, The Graduate, which both came out in 67, were, like, the two big movies that signaled the, um, the, like, beginning of, like, the new Hollywood yeah with like the graduate probably because of like um uh like thematic content plus like the cinematography and like bonnie and clyde definitely for like the violence and sex which i think that like um did you read have you read the pauline kale essay on bonnie and clyde i have not because i unfortunately haven't seen bonnie and clyde yet oh so damn yeah definitely check that out it, it's not like um i i do think that like it probably loses a bit of its punch due to the fact that it's like you know 50 years old um so like a lot of that impact i think it's difficult to be to for us to like feel now but i think that like that movie does a lot of interesting things with um how it connects sex and violence and also like being i think one of the first hollywood movies that um doesn't excuse the violence of that doesn't get committed from by the main characters because like in the past because, like, they, there's, like, so many, like, different, like, Bonnie and Clyde movies throughout the years. Like, Nicholas Ray made, like, They Live By Night, which is, like, a really great one. But in that movie, mm-hmm. they're kind of, it, it's kind of, like, shown um, that they're kind of, like, unfortunate victims of circumstance, which is, like, what leads them down this, like, life of crime. Whereas yeah. in Bonnie and Clyde, they're just doing the crimes because, like, it's cool and, like, it makes them really horny. <laughs> Which yeah. is what? What was what was the case for the real Bonnie and Clyde? Who even knows? Yeah, I mean, we we killed them before we could really ask. Yeah, unfortunately, we we killed them using like hundreds and thousands of squibs. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the the Wild Bunch is I I would say like <laughs> much more like disturbing and violent than than Bonnie and Clyde. Um yeah yeah this is like i don't know man this is until like a clockwork orange i don't think i've seen a movie this violent again in like my timeline of films that i've seen yeah for sure i mean definitely like also like especially coming out of america 
Um, yeah. Yeah, this is insane that this is an American film. Yeah, but arguably, like, um, the actual violent content, so, like, you know, squibs, headshots, whatever, I think just by itself wouldn't be as impactful if it wasn't for, like, the editing, like you mentioned earlier, the montage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, like, let's talk, I think we should talk a bit about the opening, because I think, like, the opening is honestly, like, sure. probably, like, one of my favorite scenes in, like, movies ever. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, I, I, the, the imagery of, like, these ants just eating up the scorpion is, like, mm-hmm. I really like that, and then there's the whole, like, actual shootout that happens that's, like, on top of that, but this whole, I think, I think it's, it's interesting that they kind of open on this, like, this pack of like children just watching this like horrifying like scene occur where the, these these ants are just eating this scorpion alive mm-hmm. and i'm you know obviously there's there's commentary there and you know voyeuristic violence yeah um, for sure uh it's a really cool visual allegory movie, yeah for the movie to, to then you know be so violent and so kind of you know um unexpected for the time especially especially in terms of its content is like you know it's just cool it's it's a good like way to set that all up yeah for sure um something so something interesting that i i read about the production so one of the reasons why peck and pa had like a lot of trouble in hollywood and like i'll probably get more into this later was that um he was kind of like a freak when it came to to shoots um <laughs> and like the technical aspects of his movies so like he would shoot action sequences using up to like six different cameras oh my god which is like insane cuz like you like yeah. back back then like you would be hard pressed to see like to like shoot a scene with more than like a one camera really yeah um but the reason for this was because um he would like shoot them from and, and like you know if you've seen if you haven't seen the opening to the wild bunch highly recommend just like looking it up right now because like it's just like this incredible montage and i think like yeah like one of the most like impactful scenes like in american um in american cinema but um yeah so he would use like six different cameras all from like different angles i think that they all would also have like different lenses and they would be shooting at like different frame rates as well so just like creating and once like you assemble all these shots like together um just creating like this like hectic insane kind of like sequence like i think that like um originally the shootout at the beginning was like 21 minutes but um wow yeah (laughs) they cut it down to like five minutes because there was just like so much footage and i remember that like you know they were playing it at like different speeds as well yeah, and I, I mean, oh, thank God that they had, like, six of those cameras, because all that, all that, um, coverage just, like, that coverage is the editing. It's, it's, you know, it's cutting back to one scene of violence, but then, like, cutting into absolute chaos in, in some crowd that's, like, next to the scene, but then cutting back to it, and just, like, that constant momentum of, like, everything is like happening all at once everything is falling apart everything's going absolutely insane and i i mean i think that's just like part of what makes this movie so like 
interesting to watch visually. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, I think that, like, um, I think I think it speaks to, like, um, how, uh, like, the, the qualities of a great filmmaker and how that really can, can um, uh, like, guide the audience's emotions, like, in certain ways. Because I think that, like, yeah. um, I mean, like, sure, like, this movie could have been like gorier more violent or whatever i i don't think that that would have had the same impact had it not been shot and like assembled in this way yeah um especially sure. like to have that like in the beginning i think is really important for like setting the mood for the rest of the film yeah especially especially the um the the parade that they interrupt i think that that's yeah. like oh it's just like it's it's such an abrupt violence that like everyone in the crowd gets caught in it and it's just like awful and they're just like what are you doing afterwards yeah yeah it, it's like it's really like i don't know if cynical is the right term to use here or i mean definitely like brutal but you know it, it kind of like does away with the notion of like you know good guy good guys in a western bad guys in a western you know, it, it just like everyone is just like getting killed here. <laughs> There's like yeah. no like distinction. Yeah, uh, it's it just like and a I, massacre. I think I think that that like also helps build up this this theme, kind of of the movie where it's just like this. You know, these two ways of life just aren't compatible anymore. You can't be a cowboy anymore. In I think it's 1913. The year is yeah, and like it's just it shows it shows that you can't you know have a shootout in front of a parade anymore you can't like everything's gonna go to shit if you try and apply this like like no law absolute wild west ideology to to a modern setting like even 1913 just you know 30 years after the the reign of the cowboy it sucks man i want to go back <laughs> I want. I want to be uh, Western with my boys. I kind of. I kind of know what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't want to die in a bar fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where everyone's like drunk all the time. Something. Uh, this is a yeah. bit of like a side note, but um, something I feel that is like missing from a lot of um, our conception of the West uh, and like like the popular mythology of the West is how like literally everyone was always drunk all the time because life sucks so much yeah <laughs> like like virtually like every gunfight i mean I, i'm probably exaggerating here but at least from what i've like read and what i've seen like oh like most like gunfights and stuff like everyone on either side was just like completely hammered yeah hey i mean that's why that's why saloons are such a iconic part of westerns right 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 um but yeah I, I think i i really admire um this film's commitment to like showing how like the these uh the, the wild bunch as they are called are just like these like absolutely like irredeemable pieces of shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> um which i like i i have some problems with because i think it doesn't really give you um much to care about or like hold on to through the movie throughout the movie which um and you know if that's the case then um i guess it becomes kind of difficult to like 
care about what's like really going on for some of it um but yeah at the same time it's like kind of the point you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't want them to be any more humanized yeah it, i i will admit that the film like was kind of losing me at certain points that's not to say it's you know bad movie but it it was so kind of unrelenting at certain points that i'm like damn these guys suck yeah which I think is um, is interesting because at least in the other Peck and Pom movies I've seen, um, I think he rides that line really well of like you know, showing his protagonists and these characters to be like you know terrible people, but also like making you care about them. Um, in fact, like I would yeah. say every other Peck and Pom movie I've seen um, really like made me care about the protagonists. Like Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid um, uh, really makes you care about the relationship between uh, Billy the Kid and like the guy who eventually kills him um they like really like humanize him and like chris christopherson's uh portrayal of billy the kid i think is like very charismatic even though he's um like completely like a man without honor and in your case since the other pick and pop movie you've seen was uh bring me the head of alfredo garcia um the uh the protagonist in that movie played by warren oates i think um I, th- I think he does like a great job to to make you like care about him and like what's going on and even if like you know yeah he's he's an asshole but like at the same time he's like you're going on such a journey with him that you're just like yeah yeah I agree with you <laughs> yeah um, it's such it's such an ordeal that like but this is I can't tell you exactly why like some of this doesn't like completely work but. I don't know. I mean, I, I do like it. I yeah, for sure. It's it's a good movie, and it's it's just like I I feel like they maybe should have focused on the um the other guy maybe a little bit more the um the guy who used to run with Deke. Uh oh yeah yeah the uh the Robert Ryan character. Yeah, I felt like they were they were kind of like haphazardly a little bit kind of cutting to him and like what he is up to and they're just like all right <laughs> back to these guys back to the bunch yeah i, I, I don't know Maybe I w- that's just me i would kind of agree in a sense that like i feel like we get a lot of like random bits of backstory that like don't really like matter add up to anything like we get like there's like literally like one scene where the relationship between um uh robert ryan and um uh shit who's the the main character's name like pike bishop like like bishop william holden yeah william holden so like there's there's only like one scene where like that relationship is established and it's like literally a one minute scene and like you know you get like no sense of like their companionship like whatsoever and then also like there's (laughs) not at all yeah there's like another scene where it goes into like william holden's backstory and it's like i knew like this girl but then like you know her husband her husband like shot her and like i've been looking for him ever since and like doesn't like you know lead to anything which is like i mean i understand if you want to like you know give some backstory on these characters but it seems like really unnecessary to like cut to a completely like different scene um yeah like the way it's the way it's done it makes it seem like you don't care about this either (laughs) yeah (laughs) which i think i think uh i I wouldn't be surprised if peckinpah didn't care about it (laughs) Yeah, no, I, knowing knowing Peck and Pa and his work, I'd, I, I could believe that. Yeah, um, and honestly, like, 
because of because of like the fact that the movie doesn't give you much to care about um the first time i saw this movie i really like i honestly i, I didn't like it <laughs> um but and it definitely like lost me at certain times but um when i when i rewatched it last night uh i i think i picked up on some more things that really made me appreciate it more yeah i'd be i'd be very interested to rewatch this i just decided to buy it because it was like six dollars to buy as opposed to like two dollars to rent so i'll definitely be looking at this again um for sure yeah i mean there's so much in here for sure yeah there's i i definitely like miss some of it yeah and that just goes to show you know it's just like it's I don't want to say, you know, this is a deep film, but, like, it is. It's, like, there's a lot going on, and it's layered and textured and beautiful and rich and everything you want out of a uh, a movie from this time period. Yeah, I agree. And um, I was reading a review by Andrew Saris, who I honestly don't like him as a critic so much, but I thought this was a pretty good point that he made. Um, it was a contemporary review, so a review at the time, and... Um, he was talking about how, like, the story and the script was, like, almost too simple for what Peckinpah was trying to do. The kind of, like, poetry he was trying to, uh, to write yeah. throughout the movie. And I kind of, I kind of agree, because, like, there, there's a lot of, I, I think Peckinpah is, like, an extremely self-aware director. Almost, like, too self-aware to the point where, like, his films get labeled as, um uh revisionist which i don't really agree with that label um for his films but like um i think that he like he's able to like treat his his subjects like this like really interesting like degree of nuance which i think comes out most in the way that like his films are shot and edited but i think that um the material here wasn't quite strong enough to like work within his style Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the what's going on in the story. I I felt like was it got like disconnected from from what was making the characters so interesting. I think. Yeah, yeah, I would agree there. There's like there's this sense of like they're filling in backstory for the sake of filling in backstory, but the backstory doesn't completely match like the, the grizzled harshness of, of the characters that are actually being presented. Yeah. The problem is it's like the backstory just like, isn't really that interesting either. Um, (laughs) and it probably should have just come out like naturally throughout the plot instead. Yeah. I, I know that that was like one of the, one of the, kind of big criticisms that I saw was just like how I'm trying to find I'm trying to find that quote again but it's sure the the sort of haphazard like we're gonna cut to a, a flash flashback right now yeah <laughs> and it just it just cuts to it too it, it's not like a like fade in kind of thing it just <laughs> here's a cut scene <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird um because uh, it's especially weird just because like of how meticulous some of the other scenes of the movie are done yeah um it definitely yeah. felt like peck and paw 
like really wanted to do certain things and didn't really care for some of the other parts um and they were just kind of like necessary because of to, to like move like the plot along i could be wrong about that because i think peganma has like said many times that like he considers this one of his like finest films um yeah. but that's just kind of like the feeling i got i don't know yeah absolutely a lot of a lot of interesting quotes I'm reading on the on the reception page. Yeah. What Citizen Kane was to movie lovers in 1941, the Wild Bunch was to cinestets. Cineasts. Cineasts. What is yeah. that? Okay, so it's like um, no one really uses this term anymore. But so it's basically like filmmakers who are cinephiles, from what mm. I've heard, or like film people who are cinephiles. Interesting. Yeah, I I think I agree because I think that like um, I th I hear a lot of comparisons between this movie and like Seven Samurai, um, The Magnificent Seven, and of course like uh, other films that have been like really influential in the history of film, and I think that like it, it's funny because I I almost feel that like um, I I I think that this movie takes a lot from like Seven Samurai, obviously, because it's about like this, this posse of dudes, um, and this like epic journey that they have. But but I feel like it's almost it focusing on that is like not the reason why this movie was so important, you know? Yeah. Um, it's almost like that aspect of it was not a necessity. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I found myself, like, a lot more interested in, like, what it had to say, but it almost felt like it didn't, like, want to say a lot about what it had to say, but I, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the whole thing about this movie being, like, a revisionist Western, right? This is, like, considered to be, like, the revisionist Western by a lot of people. Um, and, like, there really isn't that much in the movie about that, I think. Um, yeah like uh they they mentioned like once at the beginning like you know the lands the lands are changing like we only have so so long to do this and yeah. then like that's it i think i think that like the uh, the commentary there comes best from the imagery so like you have the mexican general driving like the car and you have like um william holden and a couple other people like using automatic pistols like 1911s instead of revolvers um but i don't know like other than that it's not it i i don't think that it's i don't i, I don't think that focusing on that aspect of the movie is as important as um i think i think a lot of it does come out with uh william holden with pike bishop you know there's just this sort of like look to him and this feel where it's like this was this was a former cowboy who now has to hang up his old ways and deal with the fact that like this just isn't this isn't a sustainable life anymore this isn't like something that'll be around for a long time and it's just kind of him dealing with with that while trying to catch up with guys who are still living that way and i think that's that's kind of where the interesting aspect of this film comes from is is that kind of uh you know back and forth between these two ideas yeah um i think also um uh the the character of angel 
uh, I, I think yeah is is a good way of like looking at um, what this film's trying to say about like westerns in general um, since he's like the only character out of anyone here that has like any honor whatsoever who like actually like stands for an ideal right yeah and so because of that of course like he's the one who just like gets like screwed over the worst at in the end um yeah like uh ernest ernest bornheim just like ditches him because uh the general wants to like mess with him yeah Uh, they all they all try and live by this code but then you know when the code when it suits them they they break the code as soon as possible yeah um no man gets left behind until until they do yeah and i think like that's that's kind of you get that's that's where you get like the kind of like peck and paw lyricism um the most because i I, honestly i think that like his um um kind of like melancholy like sad boy lyricism doesn't doesn't come through a lot in this movie compared to like the other ones i've seen i think since like you've seen like alfredo garcia i think that you would agree right yeah no i i think i get what you're saying um but i think that like uh and not not to skip to the end but like at at the very end um the one thing that the bunch does that's like honorable uh which is like you know try to like rescue angel from um the general is what it like inevitably gets them all killed because that's like the kind of aspect that's anachronistic about them you know that um you know if they just continued to be these kind of like um no moral no honor kind of dudes just going around and robbing things they probably would have been fine until like you know they get shot and, and killed eventually but the fact that they chose to um be honorable in the kind of like classic western fashion um is what inevitably gets them like all killed and that's why like i struggle when people call this like a revisionist western because that implies that it's like trying to break free of the constraints of like old hollywood westerns and of course like to a certain extent that's true because of like the violence and the filmmaking here is very 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 new um but also like those those like old western themes of like honor um and stuff like that they they completely come back by the end of this movie so and it's just kind of like it I don't know it kind of like ends in the same way that i think that that like an old western would not in like this whole like well also in, in like you know these like huge like orgies of violence like like an old hollywood westerns but um for the for the sake of like honor or something greater than just money yeah i i mean i think that that would stick if this movie took place in like the 1880s kind of thing but like i i think it you know it does its job by addressing the fact that this is like you're in the 1910s at this point when this movie is happening so it's like it's it's addressing that time period in particular um and how the you know how the western frontier looked yeah so i think that that's like you know it's it's not really revision revisionist because that was just what the time period was right yeah um i also find that like so so Peckinpah like he says a lot um what when people like criticize him about the violence in his movies he often says that like he just wants to portray like 
things as they actually are and not like sugarcoat them which i think is interesting because um i i don't know like i i don't i, I don't i don't totally buy it i don't totally buy it. like I, I find his movies to be not very realistic um I, I definitely think they're like really over the top at least when i was watching this i i, I felt like this had um was more in line with like a spaghetti western than like i don't know a classic hollywood western um in terms of the style yeah and i mean i i think the editing really lends to the style and like the use of the use of you know things that weren't really common like slow motion at the time mm -hmm. to you know it is this big spectacle of violence and it like because it's this big spectacle and you know, it's it's not exactly a realistic portrayal of like, you know, <laughs> bodies flying. I don't know. Right. Maybe it's. The, I think it does enough to like, you know, makes it make itself, you know, a Hollywood movie to um, to say that you know, that, I don't know. I just I think the violence is also cool. So like. Oh, it's so cool! Are you kidding me? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, like, Peckinpah is, like, I think one of, like, the best, like, action directors ever. Probably. I mean, just from, just from these two, like, that shootout at the end of Alfredo Garcia is amazing. Oh, it's, it's perfect. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I, I highly recommend checking out, um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid at some point, because that, that movie, I think, is probably my favorite Peckinpah. Um, and I'm, I'm, like, a huge sucker for um uh <laughs> like sad boy um music playing over um like big hollywood scenes sad boy like pop music so like whenever like there's yeah. like a like there's a there's like this incredible scene in, in that movie where um there's a there's a sheriff who gets shot and like he's dying as as like the sun goes down and it starts playing uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan. And it's, like, the greatest scene I've ever seen in my life. Beautiful. It's so good. I cry. Beautiful. I cry. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, man. It's just a, it's just a, a good movie. This only made $11 million, which is, like, that seems insane. It was on a $6 million budget. Yeah, I feel like... Yeah, that, that's weird. I feel like this... At least from from what I've heard, this I thought this was like a really like popular movie. Although I don't know, it's like a legend. There's a thing next to it that's like unreliable source question mark. So maybe Wikipedia is wrong. Anyway, yeah, maybe it's like eleven million. Not that like box office made is all the good movies don't make any money anyway. That's true. I, I think like none of Sam Peckinpah's movies made money except for this one. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd, I believe that. Yeah, Sam Peckinpah seems like a. <sighs> He he was he was too concerned with the craft to to make any money. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, also you're just like drunk all the time and like over budget, and yeah. like all of his productions are just like messes. There's actually a great quote from um, this guy who was I, I forget who who said this, but he was like a, a crew member on on Peck and Paws films, and he was at a Peck and Paws funeral, and he said that like. Um, you know, we're like we're like an hour late, like, and no one knows what's going on. It's like a true Peck and Power production. 
Uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. Because, like, it, it's funny to me because, like, with, with, with the Wild Bunch, um, besides, like, the beginning and the end, a lot of the middle isn't terribly memorable for me. Yeah. I think that, um, well, at least, like, the, the whole... The, the action sequences that Peg and Pa is, like, most known for, I, I don't really think... Th- there aren't really many of those in, like, the middle of this movie. I mean, like, even the, um, like, the train robbery, for example, I thought was filmed, like, fairly, um, like, standardly for the time. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it seemed like a very, like, straightforward kind of, you know, Western set piece. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to. I'm also trying to remember kind of what happened in the middle of the movie because there's that, there's just that whole uh, section where they meet uh, Mapache, Mapache. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the whole Angel Teresa thing, which is. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh yeah, I, I'll tell you. Was... Yeah, this movie just like hates women. <laughs> it kind of does despises women yeah like um the so there's a scene in the middle of the movie where um angel uh finds out that his uh his old girlfriend is is now like dating or married to the general i think it was it was his wife i think oh really it was his wife that's funny um and so like he just like shoots this girl in front of like all these people and I think she's, she's, I think she's, like, in the general's arms. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's how they get the job. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then, like, they, basically, like, the general just, like, laughs it off because, like, uh, it's, like, a lover's Oh, quarrel. you were aiming for the woman. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the most, like, insane thing because, like, <laughs> you're still, like, shooting a, a person on top of you. Yeah. And anyway, <laughs> um, it's, it's just, like... And it, the the funniest part is like this dude who just like kills this woman for like basically no reason is like probably the most honorable person in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, but like I think like every like other like depiction of of women in this movie they're just like all like whores, right? They're all just like prostitutes instead. Pretty much. Pretty much, which um. Dude, where's the where's the all female Wild Bunch remake? I think that'd be really good, yeah. Just like killing a bunch of men. Get have him, you have you back. gone to see the three fifty five yet, Duran? I have. I already. I already. I, I saw it opening day. Um, I heard that like that <laughs> that uh, Lupita Nyong'o is like barely in any movies, and she chose to like be in this one, which is kind of funny. Like I don't I don't think she's been in a movie since like us at least that wasn't like voice acting. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> anyway, we're getting off track. <laughs> um but yeah, I I think also yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I I don't trust Peckinpah when it comes to women. I I I don't think he likes women. I will be honest. <laughs> Cuz like um you haven't seen Straw Dogs yet. Uh, we almost did this episode on Straw Dogs, uh, which honestly might be an interesting topic for one. Yeah, I mean, I, I know of, like, what Straw Dogs is about, so... Yeah, but, like, if you see the movie, it's so much worse than... Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, God. because it's... 
it's it's like the the rape scene of that movie is really strange because like at times it's depicted as if like she like wants it or like she's doing it because to like get back at like her husband for being um such like a pussy which is like really like sus <laughs> i mean obviously yeah, that, it's like that, that doesn't sound good <laughs> very very like misogynistic yeah i i i, I don't trust peck and pop when it comes to women i at least i i, I don't want to be like that guy to like call like sam peck and pop sexist but like I mean, like, after watching, like, six movies by him, it's kind of hard to deny that. I don't know. He was born in 1925. It is, it's very possible. That's true. That's true, yeah. Um, at the same time, though, I think that, like, uh, the betrayal of women in this movie wouldn't be, like, um, inaccurate to the history of the time period. Although, yeah. um... Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to defend him. <laughs> women women still didn't have voting rights at this time, so... That's true. Or did they? 1913? Uh, wasn't it like 1915 when women's suffrage was allowed? Or 1919? I don't know. I think you're yeah, right. Just barely, if if it was. Yeah. So... That should that should tell you about the time period they're, uh, they're portraying. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, Robert Ryan's character. Sure. Yeah, because he's interesting. Um, yeah, you mentioned that, like, um, he's kind of just, like, in the background for most of the movie. There's, like, certain times yeah. where, like, he is um, the main dude that's, like, chasing after them. But he's almost kind of like a, like a side villain or something. Um, yeah, it's... He gets very shuffled off to the side, like, whenever they kind of feel like it, so that they can focus on something else. But... Yeah. I, fe- I feel like they do use him well, it's just I wish there was more of more of him. Yeah, I think that, um... Uh, the, the part I liked the, the most in, like, his, his arc, I guess, was at the end, where, um... He... You know, he... Uh, he goes back to the to the massacre at the end of the movie and he just like finds like all of them dead and he just like sits down in front of like this arch and like lets like his dudes just like leave it's pretty sick (laughs) yeah Um, and like you know he 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 lets them all leave like knowing that they're all gonna get like executed by um by angels guys yeah I it, one of the things that really interests me about that gang is is the fact that they were like scavengers. Mm-hmm. The the fact that like it, we didn't really see this, but this probably happened a lot in the West, where like people would just take each other's stuff because they were now dead. You know how like, yeah, taking the boots off of dead bodies and you know taking the ammo belts and guns and all of it. It was. It just added, like, another layer of, like, cynicism and evil to the whole thing. And it was just... They use it well. Yeah, yeah. I think that, like, there's, um... The first time I was at the... I think the very beginning, after, like, the bank robbery, right? Yeah. Um, like... (laughs) I I remember, like, um... It was the, uh... The guy that they left back at the bank robbery, um... Who, like, gets shot, and then, like... Is still alive, and, like, shotguns three guys immediately... Remember that guy? Yeah. So, um, immediately after he, like, shotguns those three guys and then gets shot, 
like those guys get like hounded by scavengers and they like steal all their yeah. stuff which is like kind of funny <laughs> i know i was like <laughs> i'm not sure who i'm supposed to be rooting for because it feels like you're just killing off these people very quick yeah um yeah i think that like this movie like uh, as like we mentioned before like ha- having that sequence at the beginning it like front loads a lot of its cynicism um yeah which is why uh once that like cynicism is kind of like turned around at the end there's like a i think a pretty like interesting impact there um because you think like going into this especially like um i think also knowing the legacy of this movie as being like you know this like a violent revisionist western and then getting all of that at the beginning but then by the end there's this kind of like you know question um like whether or not you know honor or like the old values of the west are still relevant kind of like come back i don't know it's kind of it's kind of interesting it's al- it's almost like a um it's uh it plays out in reverse um not not how you'd expect it you'd think that like as this movie being a, a revisionist western would start with you know the honor at the beginning the old values that kind of like gradually get disintegrated until you get to like the spot where it's like only cynicism but it's almost like the opposite yeah. happens which is like, kind of interesting yeah i i think the the whole kind of ending where where he's like maybe i deke deke's kind of like maybe i do have a purpose and then smiles and rides off into the sunset leaving behind this like massive like this just this compound full of bodies that have just <laughs> now been <laughs> like that that final like that final shootout's like just so insane that like, yeah it's insane it's it's how many insane. people just yeah. die during that, <laughs> that shootout's just like yeah it's uh, this this is maybe like the western with like the biggest body count i've ever seen oh yeah yeah probably i mean like and you just have like um uh uh like pike just like going into like this woman's room and like shooting this like woman (laughs) also which another 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 tally for the sam pike and pa's probably misogynist thing (laughs) um but yeah like uh, the, the the funniest part about like that sequence that it's cut in with like you know, a million other shots of, like, just, like, absolute, like, insanity and carnage. Um, which yeah. is... I think that, that just goes back to that editing, how just, like, he had all this coverage and he was just... I, I think that just... What's the editor's name? Let's give this man credit. Uh, <laughs> Louis Lombardo. Louis Lombardo. He, he worked on a bunch of Peck and Paws, right? Uh, let's find out. Uh, yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he did. He worked with Altman too. It's pretty cool. But Lombardo, the way he just kind of like edits in all of this chaos, like on top of each other, like he he's not cutting from one event to the other. He is cutting between events where like it'll be this crowd, it'll be screaming, it'll be people like ducking behind something, but it'll 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 cut to you know. One guy being shot, and then it'll cut back to the guy, like, being shot. Then it'll cut to this crowd. Then it'll cut to him, like, writhing on the ground. Then it'll cut back again to something else, like, a person ducking behind something. And it'll cut back to him. And there's this, like, 
weird kind of like chaotic rhythm that starts to come from that and it's just it's it's very brilliantly executed i think yeah and like easily i think um you could get the the audience could kind of like get lost and the the space could be kind of like confusing for them but um i think that uh the the edits here kind of like avoid that um i'm not i'm not really sure how but like the uh the technical expertise is definitely like far above my pay grade i I don't understand it at all but it works it works like really really well um for sure sure. something i think that i want to talk about that's kind of interesting was how like um i don't know if you remember but um when they go to confront the general to uh get angel back um and the general kills angel so they, they shoot the general right and then like there's this kind of like um uh, like silence afterwards and everyone's kind of like looking at them and like no one really knows what to do and uh, i think ernest, <laughs> yeah. ernest bornine like starts like laughing and it seems like they they could just like walk out of there and it'll be fine but then um pike just like shoots a guy for no reason and they all just like get into the conflict <laughs> it was it was such a strange beat yeah because you're just you're you're also left in the character shoes wondering what the hell is happening right now <laughs> yeah yeah I, I like i don't know i don't, I don't really know what to do with that it's kind of like this this weird thing that happens i maybe it's it's some kind of a commentary on how like um well i think that like you know when they when they walk in they like know at that point they're all gonna die yeah and so like since they've already kind of like you know resigned that to themselves Oh, that, Maybe. that absolute badass walk that they do. Where yeah, they're yeah. Just, like, they're covered in guns, and they're just like, every soldier in the area is just surrounding them at that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Reminds me of a scene from uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think there was any possible uh, influence that this movie had on that? There might have been, but... Uh, this Western film? There, there might have been, yeah. But I think I think that the violence here is much worse maybe who's to say yeah but i think that like i don't know like pike pike shooting the guy for no reason it's almost like you know yeah the movie's over let's get on with it (laughs) i don't know (laughs) all right come on let's we're gonna do a shootout yeah let's do the shootout then come on now well yeah i mean there's like several parts of this movie that almost feel like uh like manneristic as if um like they're happening because they need to happen not because of like any like logical reason i don't know yeah it's yeah i'm i'm very interested to to look back at this again yeah me too i, I mean i really want to I'm, I'm glad that I, I i rewatched it for this because like um now that i'm a little bit more familiar with peck and paw i can kind of like parse it a little bit better but i mean there's still there's still like so much in this movie that like i think kind of like goes over my head yeah yeah i mean i <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's it's a very interesting movie. Yes, check it out. A lot. To, definitely check lot it out. If you're if you're squeamish, squeamish, definitely check it out, so you can get over, get <laughs> over sure. your squeamishness. Um, It'll help. Yeah, kind sure. of, maybe, sort of. <laughs> if you if you hate westerns, um, you'll definitely like this one, because uh, they all get shot and die. Yeah, man. 
Um, you know, you know those boring old John Wayne westerns where nobody got shot. People get shot in this. Yeah, dude, I I never like that that whole thing about like um oh yeah like old westerns like, you know like nothing happens in those. You're like boring and like no one gets shot. And I'm like, you have not seen an old western, dude. Those those things can get heated pretty quickly. All right. I know. Yeah, as as a guy who I, is... I don't I don't know if you were watching Red River or what happened, bro. But like, <laughs> okay, Red River kind of sucks. But, like, um, I just watched, like, a bunch of um, these uh, Anthony Mann-directed John Stewart-starring westerns, and there are, they are so sick. There's John Stewart. John Stewart was in a western. Wait. That's crazy. James Stewart. James Stewart. John Stewart's not James Stewart. Okay. That's a different guy. He's not. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> anyway, those are great. Definitely check those out. Um but yeah, those those are those are like those are brutal, man. They're violent at times. Um, yeah. But yeah, do you want to move on to stuff we've been watching, reading, listening to recently? Sure. I know. I know you want to, or at least I want to talk about Spider Man. We can do that publicly, or we can do that privately. No, we should. We should. We should definitely talk about Spider Man. All right, I'm down. I'm down to. I'm down to debate this conversation right now. Debate me, bro. All right. So, as as we all know, the hit film Spider-Man: No Way Home has come out. <laughs> We're going from the wild punch to Spider-Man. It's I mean, the it, it's like the logical flash. progression of of Hollywood filmmaking. <laughs> um. Yeah, um, in case this needs to be said, we're, we're gonna get into it, uh, spoilers abound. Um, not that... Yeah, Spider-Man dies. I, I don't know who's gonna care about this, I don't know, <laughs> people are gonna shut this off as soon as we're done talking about the Wild Bunch, who cares? <laughs> um, alright, so, uh, I guess I'll start by saying that I very much enjoyed the film, and my good friend Duran here did not... <laughs> And did not enjoy the film. Um, In fact, uh, one could say that I that I heavily disliked this motion picture. Possibly hated. Possibly hated. Some would say. All right. Um, where do you want to begin? Should do you do you want to state your case? Do you want me to explain why I think this movie is good? Yes, I think I think wanna... you know what. Okay, let's let's end it on a positive note. So I will go first. Okay. And then and then you'll go because I, I don't want to I don't want to come off as like uh, an asshole who hates everything, I, which is like, I mean e even if that's true, which it is, I don't want to come off that way. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so, um, there is this uh, this guy. This uh, some would call him a philosopher. Others would call him a uh, a blogger um, named uh, Mark Fisher. He wrote, he wrote this book called Capitalist Realism. Um, and uh, I was listening to a, uh, a lecture by him, and um, he was talking about how, like, modern pop music is in this kind of stasis where you can't really um, place it anywhere. So he says that, like, um, you, if you listen to a song, you can kind of tell, if, like, the decade that it came out in based off of the um, progression of music history in like the 20th century whereas modern music and so at the time that he was talking i think this was like the early 2010s um is kind of impossible to place not necessarily because like you know you're living in the period that it comes out in 
but because it's so referential to um, older um, types of music that you could take like a song uh, that's playing like on a pop station and just place it in the 80s and you know no one would kind of notice and so he kind of just describes this like um stasis that modern pop culture is in where it just becomes like infinitely more like referential onto itself without any kind of like progression forward um and there's like a lot of like different reasons for this kind of having to do with like um you know some 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 marxist would say and whether or not i'm a marxist is a different question um some marxists would say that like uh we're we're in the stage of capitalism now where like um things are kind of like falling apart um very slowly um and we're kind of like trying to cling on to uh whatever we have but we've kind of like we've kind of like uh gone to this point where we no longer pretend that we can actually solve all the problems in this world because what is necessary to solve them would uh mean kind of like the destruction of a lot of systems of power that currently exist um so instead interrupt you here Yes, I think you should you should start tying this back All to right. Spider Man. I will start tying it back to Spider Man No Way Home in a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, basically, what I'm trying to get at is that um, we're in this kind of like endless loop loop of um, uh, like references, repetition. At least to me, it doesn't really seem like there is this sense of um progression in 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 filmmaking i think i think film is kind of like already heed his last ha um to, to use a western example um i, I think i think we're kind of at, at the end of times for for film just because like once once like a a medium or like a genre or something gets to the point where like it's constantly referencing itself. The implication is kind of like, you know, this whole thing has kind of like run its course. So that is my thing with Spider-Man No Way Home. I think that like, um, um, it's an interesting microcosm to what's going on in the film industry right now, which is like, um, the, you know, the use of IPs and nostalgia um, to the point where, like, um, the actual, like, film itself doesn't really have much going for it. At least, like, for me personally, I felt that, like, basically every single emotional beat in No Way Home was um, taken from other movies other like spider-man movies that like weren't necessarily even part of like the mcu um which was like very strange like there's like this 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 theme of like um with great power that comes great responsibility in this movie which comes from like the first spider-man movie then is recycled in the andrew garfield movie but only appears in this movie because of the fact that like there's this weird like universe crossover and at least, like, to me, I guess, like, I draw a line where, like, if you're having, 
like your entire film's emotional um, impact come from like separate properties basically then like i don't know there's not much for me to go off of at least yeah i guess so and i mean i guess that's like that's just part of this whole debate i'd say is just you know people who enjoy these films and people who don't i'd say is like just part of what this is um for me personally um i hold the character spider-man near and dear to my heart um sorry are you done i don't want no i'm done i'm done i'm done okay Uh, (laughs) i don't want to i don't want to completely interrupt if i'm um yeah but i get i guess i get where you're coming from with that i get that like you know having hearing norman osborne say i'm something of a scientist myself again yeah just like, it's, it's it's silly but i don't think it's like i don't know it's much more fun than something like ghostbusters afterlife that's just referencing the stay puff marshmallow man to reference the stay puff marshmallow man like I don't know. I guess that is the same. It's it's just it's a it's a reference for the sake of a reference. Um but I to particularly address the the with great power comes great responsibility. The reason they did that I feel in this movie was because it addresses the main complaints everyone has about this version of Spider-Man that being that he is Iron Boy Jr. Um, well, what is that? It's it's just basically this idea that this this Spider Man is not Spider Man. He is a kid with unlimited resources from Tony Stark, who has all of all of the powers and the characteristics and the traits of Spider Man. But it's not it's not the Spider Man who goes around helping you save your cat from a tree because that's who Spider Man really is. He is not he is not a hero on the like galactic universe ending side. He is a hero on the stopping weirdo bank robbers side. But doesn't and... but doesn't this movie like go against that whole notion? Because like we have like you know, he's like using the technology throughout this whole movie and like you know, we literally get to like other universes and, and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. There's like, there's isn't, it, isn't there like an attempt it's, to be like this like thing here? There's, there's a weird kind of, um, Spider-Man comics have always rode this weird line of like, there's a bunch of crazy shit going on, but like, it's still just some kid in New York who's doing all of this. Um, hmm. like, I, the the way I look at it is this way, comparing the portal scene of Endgame where all of the heroes step out at the very end to, you know, kick Thanos' ass, and then there's the portal scene in this movie where Toby and Andrew show up, and it's not to kick Thanos' ass, it's... The, they arrive in, in Ned's grandmother's house, and it's it's they're just there. There's a very, like, matter-of-fact um, kind of presentation to them that's... It's very strange and 
kind of down to earth in a way that a way that like the Avengers movies just aren't. Oh, okay, I see. It, yeah, it's it's really hard for me to like put into words exactly what I mean, but like despite the universe uh you know calamity threat which isn't really a universe calamity threat i mean i i get that they say it is but at the end of the day this is just this was really an excuse to like have the sinister six fight um i don't know <laughs> i don't know i'm getting i'm getting lost in all okay. of my own thoughts now no that, that um, actually that actually kind of makes sense because i had an issue with um the fact that like Peter had this like, um, uh, yeah, like all, d- all, device all of, that can like the, you know the fix solve everything. everything box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I'll I'll address that in in the way I see it. I the way I see that is, he really didn't want to use that box because, um, and I know you didn't really care about Aunt May, but like, I, there's been this idea that every time we see Aunt May in this trilogy, she's working to help someone else and finally in this movie Mm. peter's like you know he's he's doing events for feast which is that little charity that she runs and i think it, it kind of settles into peter and it's the reason she says with great power comes great responsibility it's that he he needs to do better than just press the solve everything cube he needs to do better than just send these guys back to dying on their you know in their universe he needs to he needs to help them these are people that need help they're they are more than just cartoon villains to him these are people in his life not his life but you know another peter's life and that's what all of the spider-man or at least most of the raimi movies have been they've you know by the end of the movie they're like I, I want to help you. I want you to be a better person than than what you've let your creations become. And I think that that's that's what that not pressing the solve everything cube is about. It's it's about trying to get these guys to be better people than they really are. Yeah. Okay. And that I, to I me can, is Spider Man. Yeah. No. I, okay. I, I understand that more because I didn't really, I guess, have the context for spider-man as a character so that, that that does make more sense now that you've seen now that you said that although i, I do I, I do kind of think that like it makes the stakes in the movie like not so good um at least like i don't because it's true I, but yeah. i mean i guess i guess all i'm saying is that there is there's a reason that despite this thing being here he doesn't just press it got it yeah no that makes sense yeah um I don't know if there's anything else. I I get it. I get that, like, you know, having Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back and having all these villains come back and just, you know, playing with some of the memes that have been created with Spider-Man is, like, it's it's very weird. It's very kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it it really just matters, like, this it'll really depend on like if you like spider-man a lot and i'm just one of those people who like spider-man a lot and can kind of forgive this and if this was anything less than spider-man i i would be upset but i'm not 
Gotcha. And yeah. I, I, I get it if you don't like this. Yeah. I get it if this is kind of gross and kind of like stupid and self-referential and it doesn't really get us anywhere. But to me, I think that it does enough with the characters and ideas of Spider-Man and who he is kind of supposed to be that it works for me. Gotcha, yeah. Since I, since I don't really have that, that context... That's probably why yeah, a lot and of that's fair enough. Work, yeah, um, that's but hey, enough. hey, Will, Willem Dafoe though, he was great. Of oh, course, of course, Willem Dafoe's great. He's great. Willem Dafoe's wonderful. It was, it was, it was worth seeing this movie just to see Willem Dafoe go go apeshit once again. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. right. Um, I think that's that's all I have to add to that. So, alrighty. Do you want to very quickly go over what what stuff you've been watching recently? Sure, I haven't. <laughs> we haven't done an episode in a while, but yeah, we'll, we'll, like, I guess we could, we should just do like uh, I don't know stuff we watched last like two weeks or something. We'll yeah, go, we'll like go with that. How, about, how about like in January? Just in January, I haven't seen like anything in January. I saw Three Hundred and Wild Bunch, and that was it. Oh, okay. I've been like <laughs> I've been traveling all over the place. All so right. I'll 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 give you my December since sure. Uh, that that seems like a good ways back. Uh, I rewatched The Amazing Spider-Man 2 before I saw Spider-Man No Way Home. How was that? Oh, man, that movie's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, lo- uh, it looks really, I, really fucking bad. <laughs> there's, there's like, certain, like, there's one or two technical things that they get right. Like, I think the suit looks great. Um, I like I like the blow-up poster think... he has in his room. <laughs> I think that there's there's certain things they do with the like the fight scenes and what Spider-Man is actually doing that's it's very cool, um, but like everything else about that movie is like bad and wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> isn't isn't Rhino just like some guy in like a tank? Yeah, which I mean, there are some versions where he's that, but like that that is just kind of uh, funny. Like I don't, yeah, <laughs> I I don't care. I just think that's that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then there was No Way Home, which, you know, we just had a little chat about. Mm-hmm. Um, Matrix Reloaded. Nice. Um, Great film. I never, I never got around to Revolutions or Resurrections, but <laughs> I um, saw Reloaded. What do you think Reloaded's, about Reloaded? Reloaded's, I'd, I'd call it a good movie. Yeah, dude. The fu- it's, it's the- not a great movie. It's not a fantastic film. It's... It's it's a good movie with some good ideas, some poor execution in parts, but overall it's it's an enjoyable film. You see, The Matrix Reloaded is actually the greatest Matrix film. I see. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to go that far. But... Uh, no, I don't know. The first one's probably still better, but like, dude, the the highway sequence just yeah, magical, I mean, magical. They built out like 12 miles of faux highway or something just for that scene, which is like It's awesome absolutely batshit and bravo bravo wachowskis yeah i think that like um undeniably that like okay you haven't seen revolutions yet that movie's like kind of terrible but like (laughs) i i don't know i just like respect the wachowskis for like sticking to their vision throughout the whole trilogy and just creating these like just like absolutely like insane movies um and yeah, I'd be curious what do you think about Resurrections. I actually really liked Resurrections. I thought that was that yeah. Was, I, that was pretty I mean, smart. I want to get around to it before it leaves um, HBO Max. So yeah, I'll probably next few days kind of thing. Sweet. Um, then I saw the new Resident Evil movie, which is 
the one that they tried to do closer to the game, but, like, it still just sucks as a movie. They tried to make it closer to the game? What? Yeah, so... <laughs> How? It, it, copies, it copies the plot of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 1, where there's, like, people in the mansion going around shooting zombies in the mansion, and then there's, like, people in Raccoon City, like, doing, like, police work in the city. And... It just, like, it... <laughs> This movie sucks. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, there's, like, barely any other zombie types represented, which, I mean, like, that's just a fan thing. That's just, like, a. I wish there was more out of this. But it's just not a good movie either. Like, the plot has no idea what it wants to do because it's jumping between these two things. And <laughs> it's just baffling. Like, it's... I honestly, like, I didn't have a bad time watching it because it was such a shit show. <laughs> I think it's, like, it's, you know, it's incredible to me how, like, Resident Evil of all franchises spawn, like, this huge film series. I know. And, like, all of the ones with Mila Jovovich have, like, nothing to do with the games at all, which is, like, really funny. Oh, really? <laughs> That's awesome. I, I mean, basically, there's, like, like, characters from the games appear and, like, umbrellas mentioned, but, like... The rest of it's just, like, absolute, like, random sci-fi gobbledygook that's just, like, it, it's just nothing. It's nothing at all, really. That's awesome, dude. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson is the, 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 the greatest wife guy in all of cinema. He, he produced this. Oh, awesome. Which is, which is, I was like, all right, <laughs> what are you doing, Paul? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Um, 2022 the is the is the year of um, Paul W S Anderson uh, authorship being recognized. Absolutely, I do like Event Horizon. I'm not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> now that that embarrassing fact has been admitted, <laughs> um, I did watch Ghosts of Mars because I was I was doing a Carpenter binge for a bit. Um, I got through a lot of his movies, but, like, a lot of the ones just near the end, like, Ghosts of Mars that just kind of suck and are bad, hmm. um, I didn't get around to, but now I have, and, um, I can't say that I missed much. Damn. This has some of the worst editing I've ever seen. Jesus. And, like, for me to notice editing is, like, that's a lot. You have to be doing a really bad job for me to notice that. <laughs> um... There are flashbacks within flashbacks in this movie. It's, uh... That's pretty cool. Uh, it, it just sucks, bro. It's just, it's just bad. Um, yeah. Uh, after that I have Hawkeye logged. Uh, cause you know, I'm a Marvel shill. We just had that conversation. We know. <laughs> um, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. I think it was, it was very, like, it was very not Endgame or anything else, where it was just, like, it's just a dude. And, like, that's what Hawkeye should be. He's just a dude, like, I trying thought, to live his life. I thought, like, Jeremy Renner got cancelled. I mean, he did, but, like, did no, he? No one actually cares. Um, then there was, I watched Batman Returns on Christmas, because it's, yeah. it's technically a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> Danny DeVito is great. Um... I didn't realize that he was, like, a weird goblin man in that movie. What do you mean in that movie? Like, 
Well, I mean, Danny DeVito is always a weird goblin man, but in this movie in particular, he's like a mutant, which I don't think Penguin usually is. He's just like a he's just like a weird, like it's a weird guy, little little dude. <laughs> yeah, um, wasn't he like raised by like? Rats? Yeah, he was he was raised by penguins. Oh. He has like. Two of his fingers are, like, attached to each other, so he has, like, kind of thin hands. Cool. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, weird shit in this movie. And I, I, um, the professor that we had on the podcast, uh, Koti, um, he, uh, he actually showed us this movie in, um, our film 245. He was like, oh, yeah? this is what a weird auteur making a blockbuster is like. This is, this is what you... <laughs> kind of shouldn't do and it's weird and and it it made money i guess but oh boy what is this should have shown uh david lynch's dune instead we're shown we were we were shown specifically that clip of of penguin dies in this movie spoiler alert the, uh, like this group of penguins just huddle his body off into the water <laughs> as if he was just like being carried away for a funeral that's so and cool it's like the craziest fucking thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> oh man, I saw that movie um, when I was like a kid. I don't really remember it, but I, I want to rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of like weird stuff in that movie. I just I remember um, like the Batman grin as he like sets somebody on fire in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he just like he sets a dude on fire like, <laughs> and you know everybody says Batman doesn't kill, but then like ignores stuff like this in the Burton movies. Yeah. He literally, like, shoves um, Joker off, like, the edge of a church in the first movie, right? Yeah. He awesome. does. Um, and then, all right, last film, 300, which is, I think besides, like, Guardians of Gahul, the only Zack Snyder movie I hadn't seen. Also Army of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Um, and I can, I can firmly say that I really just, I don't like Zack Snyder. <laughs> How dare you say that? I've seen pretty much all of his movies now. I just, I don't think I like Zack Snyder. Do you think there's, like, an adamant, like, um, the Guardians of Gahul Defender online somewhere? No, I think most people don't know that he made that movie. I saw that movie in theaters when I was, like, I mean, when that movie came out, like, 2010? So I was probably, like, 11? I don't know. Yeah, it was, like, a year after Watchmen, which I was surprised about. Hmm. Yeah, I, w I wanted to see Watchmen in theaters, but I was like eight. My my dad wouldn't let me. Yeah. Um, also, I'm, I'm very happy that I didn't see that movie when I was eight. <laughs> Probably would have messed me oh, up. Oh god, you would have you would have turned into Rorschach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would have. Uh, you would. I would have become like an unironic objectivist and like Rorschach enjoyer. Me sitting in the theater, twelve years old, watching my personality on screen. Dude, I think it's awesome how, like, um, in his studio logo, he has, like, an Atlas Shrug reference. Zack Snyder's studio logo. Dude, I'm so mad that he's not making the, uh, the Fountainhead movie anymore. He's not? No, he isn't. Oh my god, they that sucks. They shut that down, I think. It's, oh my god. so sad. The libs won't have us let this, man. Won't, won't have us, uh, have this. Uh, that sucks, dude. I, I feel like that would be, like, just, like, the, the best movie ever. Just, like, this kind of, like, this, like... Because it's, like, well, the Fountainhead in particular is about, like, a guy who, like, he has to choose between, like, artistic integrity and, like, 
commercial value or something. It's, it's you know, <laughs> this dude who just makes is, like superhero. <laughs> it's it's basically it's basically like that's literally it, me. It's it's very it would have been very meta I think and I would have hated it. Dude, that would have so been much. so awesome. Just imagine this like this like like roid head dude bro making like a fountainhead like adaptation. Like this guy's yeah. probably like never had like a political thought in his entire life. But just like imagining him making like a an atlas the like, um an Ayn Rand adaptation would be like awesome. There is no brain, just protein powder. Yeah. He's awesome. Honestly, I'm like, kidding. you're you're all right. You're an all right guy, Zach. I, I yeah, I like I don't like any of his films, but I uh, I don't know. I, I you gotta you gotta respect the man for having a vision. He renounced geeks and gamers on stream. So yeah, like, that was pretty awesome. Pretty oh, epic. He's one of us. He's one of us. The first uh, <laughs> the first leftist objectivist. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, three hundred was whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah. All right. So, uh, what have what have you been up to? Uh, I watched like probably a hundred movies since uh, our last podcast. <laughs> so, Damn. I mean, yeah, it's I've watched a lot since the last one yeah. too. It's just um, a matter of I don't want to get into all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That took like years. So let's see. I'll start with I'll, like I guess the I'll last start... like ten. Yeah, yeah. I'll start with like late December. So. I did, I did a big binge with Bardia. We watched um, uh, a couple Chaplains, and we watched Intolerance, which was pretty sick. Um, also watched um, Monsieur Verdoux, which is a great Chaplin movie where... Um, so, yeah, he, he, he just, like, kills women in this movie. He's, like, a serial killer. Um, I see. <laughs> very un-Chaplin. <laughs> yeah, like, everyone, like, hated this movie at the time. It's pretty awesome. It, it's, it's, it's great. Um, Limelight 2 is really good. Um, beautiful movie. Then I, I finished up, I finally finished up, um, Eric Romer's, um, Comedies and Proverbs series. So these, uh, six movies that begin with, like, a, a proverb that the movie is kind of, like, based around. So I watched recently Full Moon in Paris, The Green Ray, and Boyfriends and Girlfriends. Um, which were all pretty good, but The Green Ray is definitely like a standout out of those. Um, amazing, amazing movie. I watched um, Zeros and Ones, which is uh, this uh, Abel Ferreira movie um, starring Ethan Hawke. came out came out last year, and it's the uh, the first Abel Ferreira movie I, I I've liked. I think this is like the third or fourth movie I've seen by him. You know, like the fourth or fifth movie I've seen by him. Jesus Christ. The first one I've seen by him that I've liked. Um, and it makes no sense whatsoever. But, like, it's this, like, vague terrorist kind of movie that's set, like, during COVID. Um, hmm. And But the cool thing about this is that, like, you see... I, th I think it was, like, shot during COVID, too. So, like, you see, like, these, like, empty streets. Uh, like, these empty, like, Roman streets at night which is kind of cool. Um, and I think that, like, he used, like, he used, like, this, like, weird, like, low, lo-fi, like, digital camera, which um, creates some really interesting, like, textures. Um, yeah, cool stuff. Um, and I've been, I've been banging um, Peckinpah as well. Um, so recently I saw, <clears throat> let's see, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which is amazing, badass movie. Um, one of my new favorites. And Cross of Iron, which is good. It's like um, 
it's a World War II movie from the perspective of the Nazis um, uh, and, like, the Russian front, kind of, like, while everything was, like, going to shit on, like, the Nazi side. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and then I saw Straw Dogs, which is, like, just... I, I, I don't even, like... I don't even know how to talk about this movie, man. It, it's, like... <laughs> uh, there's this, um... This, like, film historian who said that, like... Um, Straw Dogs is, like, an incredible movie, but, like, but like Birth of a Nation, it's, like, on, the on like, the wrong side of history. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is, which is, like, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that. I, I agree with it to a certain extent, but I think, like I mentioned before in the podcast, I think that, like, Peckinpah is, um, self-aware enough to, to, like, treat the, uh, problematic subject matters in his movies with, like, degrees of nuance that I think a lot of people don't really like um recognize in him but also yeah, yeah there's there's a lot of like just like weird stuff in straw dogs man I would love to like get into it sometime but on like as like a movie it's like yeah it's it's pretty excellent um watched the original Cape Fear that was pretty good watched uh Red Rocket which was good that was my first Sean Baker yeah, I need to get out to the theater. I just yes, I've been indoors. Yeah, it's well, it's it's probably or away. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it's worth risking Omicron for Red Rocket. It was pretty good. Yeah, um, that's how you know a movie is good. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And, and I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, doing a, a bit of an Anthony Mann, uh, James Stewart binge. Um, is that Michael's uh, father? It is. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is, yeah. Uh, th- th- from what I'm aware, they don't have any relation, but um, I'm sure some some guy has, like, written something about them. Um, but, yeah, so he made five westerns with um, James Stewart. Um, so they're Winchester 73, which is probably the best one, masterpiece in my opinion. Bend of the River, which I actually saw in the theater at Baltimore um, last year. Um, the Far Country... The Naked Spur, and then the one I watched most recently was The Man from Laramie, um, which I think was the last Western he did with with Stewart, and that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really liking these movies. I think that, like, um, honestly, I think that James Stewart's best performances are in these movies with Man. Um, I think that, like, a lot of times in um, the movies he did with, like, Hitchcock and, like, Capra, um, at least the other ones I've seen, like, he plays like too many like boy scout goody two shoots roles when at least from what i've seen with his movies from from anthony mann um he actually has a lot of range as a um as an actor um because all so all the characters he plays in these westerns are kind of like these kind of like sketchy background like cowboy guys um that are either trying to like come clean or aren't trying to come clean and just like you know continue to be sketchy cowboy fellas but um yeah the uh his performances in these movies are like really good and extremely layered um almost to the point that like uh they are kind of like ahead of their time for the, from this period in, in uh in hollywood film history there's um there's like in winchester 73 i remember there's like certain like 
glares that he gives to the camera and there's like these kind of like explosions of um like rage that he has that like really go against like the um the type of character that Stuart generally plays um and I, I think that like i don't know at least to me like really like shocked me so yeah those are those are really cool but yeah that's what i've been that's what i've been watching recently yeah um if i were to start watching anthony man where should i begin i would recommend winchester 73 probably his best movie probably my favorite one by him um it's like fascinating movie and uh incredibly edited very well shot probably my favorite um jimmy sawyer performance ever i'll give it a look hell yeah Alrighty. Alrighty. sounds good think it's time to to wrap things up maybe perhaps thank you for joining us in our in our yearly edition of the cinephile new wave yeah i'm trying to trying to be better trying to do once every other week is is the uh the new year's resolution i've set so uh hopefully you will be seeing more episodes if you haven't that means i've broken my uh, promise and i'm a liar and you can um find me and hurt me if you so desire you're a liar and a cheat and i know where you live it's true you do all right thanks for listening all right thank you everybody uh it's been great hopefully i'll see you more next year hopefully we'll both see you more next year for sure more episodes coming soon goodbye bye-bye